Hello and welcome to Art in the Age of Lockdown with me, Ilaria Bevan, brought to you by Artpop magazine. Every week you'll listen to a conversation between myself and a range of artists, gallerists, curators and other art professionals about their experiences since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as their hopes for the future. It is a tremendous pleasure to announce that this guest is the distinguished European chairman of Sotheby's auction house, Oliver Barker. Having joined Sotheby's in 1994, Oliver has belonged to or led the house's contemporary art department in London for the past 20 years. Some of his notable achievements include the sale in 2004 of the contents of pharmacy Damien Hurst Notting Hill restaurant and the and beautiful Inside My Head Forever, an unprecedented 2008 auction of new Damien Hurst material delivered directly to auction rather than to his usual galleries. Welcome to the podcast, Oliver. Hello there. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Good. Very well. Thank you. Not bad. So where are you coming to me from at this moment? Well, um, I'm actually at home in London, which um, is a place that I've got to know very, very well over the last sort of year mm. or so, uh, largely because actually Sotheby's building, <coughs> buildings in the UK have been pretty much out of bounds, sadly, both to our clients, but equally to, to us as, as employees that work there. So, so we've actually been very busy working remotely, but coming up with some really interesting innovation, which, which has been pretty much um, you know, brand new and very revolutionary, actually, for the industry that we, 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 we're in. Yes, and I was going to start off by asking, you know, what would your routine been like roughly 12 months ago? You just mentioned that, you know, the auction house have been closed off to yourself and your clients. What has that been like? Um, you know, the, the normal pace of life uh, in an auction house is, is actually very comparable to, to other office-based sort of environments. I mean, we we've, have a kind of nine to five sort of loose policy, I, I, I guess is the best way to describe it. But equally, we're lucky enough to have our work days sort of punctured by a tremendous amount of meetings, both internally, but equally with clients. And, you know, we're lucky enough to be exposed, obviously, to the most tremendous works of art. So depending on which season of auctions we might be facing, one week we could be, you know, almost like a kind of a St. Petersburg-style museum mm. filled with wonderful Russian objects. The next week we're almost like a Doha-style museum of Islamic treasures. And then the next week it's like, the you know, the National Gallery with tremendous old master paintings. So what, what, what we've really missed is that first-hand cerebral connection with ours. I mean, I think the reason that, you know, either as art history students or, you know, working in the art industry, obviously one of the things that really gets all of us excited is that kind of fantastic access to physical works of art. We've really missed that. You know, it's been very difficult to work remotely. And have you been able to come into contact with the works that you've sold in auctions over the past 12 months? Or um, not really at all? I, I would say yes and no. I mean, I think what's been really interesting, and I guess we'll get into this in a minute, is that um, we've had to pivot largely online. And even before lockdown started, we'd made a huge amount of investments as a, as a company um, into online sales. I mean, principally because we knew that exponentially we could get a much bigger and broader buying audience. Um, but, you know, actually, in terms of the very high value works of art that we sell, ordinarily, these are things which our clients and really like to see. Um, in, in, before I should add that really before some of our biggest auctions, we actually send some of our key objects on these global tours so for example ahead of a major new york sale it's not unknown for us to ship great works of art to say hong kong or maybe london or paris you know obviously with a view to sending them uh, to, for for major clients in each of those geographies to see 
I mean, in some cases, that's still been possible in spite of lockdown. Um, but actually, I remember, remember the very first marquee live stream sale that I was fortunate to be the auctioneer for happening in New York at the end of May last year. And I sold a bacon picture for $76 million mm. and sadly barely got to see that picture. So it, it's it's definitely been an industry where we've been operating at sort of arm's length to, you know, the product that we're selling. And I was actually going to ask about the Francis Bacon. This is the triptych inspired by the RSD of Aeschylus. Am I right in saying that? Yes, you're yes. absolutely right. So that was one of the earliest live stream auctions and it sold extremely well seven months ago. And yeah. how have live stream auctions changed since then, if at all? Well, you know, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, it, it, it's, I think the two things that we needed to really achieve last year was number one, finding a solvent way or, or, or kind of a demonstrative way of selling very good quality pictures. And as we sort of engineered and innovated these live stream sales at the sort of the end of February, March last year, um, and particularly with the first kickoff of a sale in May, as you're alluding to, um, I think we proved very quickly that this was a highly uh, produced, highly sort of um, infectious, if you like, and highly marketable means of um, selling art. And, and actually, you know, one of the biggest successes is that the amount of people watching these auctions now remotely is is exponentially bigger than it was when we were operating, you know, within our buildings. So, you know, I, I suppose from a kind of superficial perspective, you could say that we've made this transition from being a kind of live theatre business to now being almost like a Netflix style, mm-hmm. um, you know, re- re- remote broadcaster. And, you know, the, the, the pictures or the works of art that we're selling in a way are almost like the kind of the Bridgerton alternatives. These are the kind of the content, <laughs> if you like, the rich content that we're, we're all looking for. Um, but actually, I mean, the nature of your question kind of suggests that you know, well, actually, these have been around for a very long period of time. And it's I think this is one of the kind of ironies of lockdown is the kind of almost TARDIS-like um, uh, suppression of time and the way that we've all become sort of almost overly familiar with with new forms of kind of consuming various different things, whether it's kind of digital content online or whether it's the way that we're ordering things increasingly at home or whether it's even the way we visit museums remotely now. I mean, it feels like we've been doing this for years, not just months. Um, so actually, we haven't had to incorporate that much newer innovation to some, you know, there, there is an element of, well, look, if it's not broken, why fix it? But I mean, having right. said that, I think that, you know, we live in a very um, competitive industry. Um, in many ways, it's it, the, the, there's an arms race, I guess, to new innovative means of doing things all the time. So, you know, we, we're always looking for kind of sensible and intelligent kind of refinements. So um, they may not be immediately obvious, but, you know, we, we are looking at things like, you know, lighting, presentation of the works themselves. How do we cross market other works which perhaps are not in that live stream auction to, to, to our audience? And one of the successes that we've had is um, is sustainability in a way, not not so much, you know, from a um, climate perspective, although, I, you know, we're not traveling nearly as much as we used mm-hmm. to and nor are the objects that we're selling, um, but more in terms of sustaining high levels of visibility and collectability of the works we're offering. And actually, you probably would have seen just a few weeks ago that I sold a Botticelli painting for yes. over $90 million. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think that this format of live stream auction which anyone can see. They're, they're front of you. You can go onto Sotheby's.com website and, and view them and see our calendar of next marquee sales. Um, but I think at these levels of price, it's, it's a clear indication that our buyers are very comfortable transacting with us in this format. And, you know, just going back a little bit, how quickly did you come to realise that Livestream would be a viable option for the absence of in-person auctions? 
Well, to, you know, to be honest with you, I was reminded of a of, of a wonderful film about a, a tightrope walker in New York who decided to kind of walk between two huge, very tall mm-hmm. buildings. And, you know, even though, you know, he at the time felt that, you know, this is a very safe thing to be doing, there was always a huge element of risk out there. And I think it's no different when we to design this new live stream formats. I mean, I think, you know, live, live TV, which effectively is what it is, um, has its own inherent kind of risks. And particularly given that this was a kind of um, a production that, that Sotheby's had never really been involved with. Um, and, you know, we, we do not pretend as an auction house to be experts in TV production, but, you know, we know people that are, and we work with them in a very effective way. And, you know, I think it was a really collaborative partnership with a production company last year, um, to come up with this new uh, format of sale and then to execute it to the you know to the to the level of professionalism that we did and actually you know we were thrilled we funnily enough we actually won a digital innovation award last year for for the live stream sale you know so e- even though now it feels as if this format has been around for, for for a long time and by the way I expect it will be around for you know for the, the, the foreseeable future um you know I, I I think it's actually still very new and and um innovative and you know we we talk at Sotheby's actually about being a 270 year old startup and you know that that may seem uh, on one level i suppose a little bit sort of superficial but actually i do i really believe that i mean i think you know particularly for someone like me who's been around for a long period of time i'm actually incredibly excited by the digital innovation that we're embracing and it's true you know i mean you mentioned that we've become so accustomed to all the technological advances that we've kind of had to endure and get used to over the past couple of months and, mm. you know, your live streams are certainly, I think, almost, oh, you know, I don't want to say ahead of the times, but almost so. I mean, I remember reading that I think your latest, um, the auction on the 28th of January with the Botticelli amassed one million viewers, I think. That, that's right. You know, yeah. I, I, think, I think it's really interesting. I mean, I think that, you know, it, it's, I'm a keen cyclist and I, I use Peloton uh, bikes all the time. Mm. And, when, when I'm in one of those classes, it you know it makes make it's very clear that you know the the instructor or the person in the studio somewhere is obviously the master or, or mistress of ceremonies. Um, and and as a kind of you know as a paying subscriber, you know obviously I'm just a kind of you know one of many people in a, in a kind of you know a, a virtual audience. But in some ways, I think what we've designed is not dissimilar to that. Um, I, what what I do expect, and particularly now that we're seeing. In this country, a kind of you know a light at the end of the tunnel in terms of kind of a COVID um, reintegration back into society, and in our case, obviously welcoming our clients back into our buildings. I mean, I think, Alaria, what we'll probably have to do is design a, some form of hybrid where there will be people mm. within the room. And again, to use that Peloton analogy, you know, in the old days or certainly pre-COVID, there would always be participants in the studio with 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 the lead instructor. But you know, at the same time, by far the bigger audience is at home, so. Clearly, we're going to have to um, lean in much more to the people watching remotely. And, you know, I, th- I think likewise, you know, for the million odd people that are watching, you know, obviously, when travel is, is pretty much inconceivable in the near future, uh, certainly in a mass level scale, um, you know, the Internet is becoming, broadly speaking, a very good means of attracting new um, new clients. I mean, you're completely right. You can hardly go back to, you know, having a very much more selective audience you know, when you've literally just had, you know, a million people live streaming and tuning into your event. I mean, it's, you know, it would have been, it would have been completely unfathomable, you know, two years ago. Um, And, you know, as a spectator watching these live streams on a screen, 
you know, it, it does appear similar to an auction in front of a large audience, you know, from the point of view that we'd have on our computers. But, you know, it's got to be different. And so, you know, as an auctioneer, what is your biggest challenge in these live streams? Because there are so few people in the room with you and you have to be distanced and all of those sorts of things. How do you manage that, you know, exactly. lack of atmosphere yeah. almost? It's, it's a really, really good point because, you know, as, as auctioneers, I mean, in a way, we're, 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 I think we're, there's an element of us being sort of frustrated actors, right? And I think mm. many of us really like like the fact that we're kind of working in front of an audience, many of whom, the, the members of which we, we know quite well. But I, but I think ultimately, you know, what we're trying to do is, you know, auctioneer in a way that is still as engaging and entertaining to a much broader audience, um, that, particularly, as you say, with, with the big issue of not having an audience live in, in the room with me. So, you know, I try and make it as, I guess, as theatrical and as engaging as I possibly can. And you I mean, have, maybe, yeah. You know, definitely. And, you know, I, I think what we found, at the, you know, obviously at the end of January, February last year, as we began to go into lockdown, and as we were being told globally that our sales rooms were having to close their doors, and, you know, obviously being a global business, in our case, we have major auctions, you know, throughout the year in places like Hong Kong and Paris and London and New York. But, you know, as we went into lockdown, and I think, you know, again, 12 months later from the view perspective of today, of course, we know a lot more about COVID than we knew then. But at that particular time, we we didn't really understand for how long we were going to actually be uh, working remotely. So, so, so we had to decide and had various sort of committees working on this as project groups um, to focus on a means of, of um, having major auctions and actually finding a way to sell some of the key things that had already been consigned sort of pre-COVID. And you know what was really interesting is that, as I mentioned at the beginning, we had already been engaged in a great number of kind of online sales, and particularly for lesser value things like sort of wine and jewelry and watches, which mm -hmm. lend themselves incredibly well to online auctions. Um, but actually, we started to experiment or were forced to experiment with selling things like Southeast Asian paintings, or I remember a, a design sale which had been uh, planned as a um, very, you know, regular Sotheby's sale with a four or five day physical exhibition with a printed catalog and then a auction in a Sotheby's building with a live auctioneer and audience members able to participate physically and walk in and out. All that suddenly had to change and we had to pivot immediately to say digital catalogs, um, talk to a specialist enabled um, inquiries on the over the uh, the website and then obviously, in some cases, um, a timed auction, because what I should explain is that not all of our sales at Sotheby's currently in this climate are the marquee live stream auction formats. We mm -hmm. actually have different formats of auctions, some of which actually probably the most efficient of which are these timed sales, whereby an auction is advertised for open for bidding, let's say, for four or five days. Um, and then it starts to close and has a very specific deadline. Um, and it's actually really interesting to watch them because, you know, let's say for argument's sake, you have a jewelry cell, which is a Hong Kong based cell, but which closes at 11 a.m. local time. We've actually devised a format whereby if there are still two or more bidders uh, competing for a particular work as it comes to deadline, there is the ability for that lot to uh, trip over the 11 a.m. deadline until there's a kind of winning bidder scenario. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, all of this is very new technology. So, I, I, you know, I think ultimately what you're seeing now is a combination of the fruits of investment and planning that we put in as a business two or three years ago, coupled with the live stream auction necessities that we've had to conceive and execute during lockdown. And, you know, I think it's fair to say that we're, 
you know, very happily surprised with the results. I think we're running already probably 15 or 16 months ahead of ourselves in terms of digital innovation and implementation. Um, you know, and I think it opens up a number of different debates, you know, like a lot of business, for example, we, we occupy a number of physical spaces around the world. And I think a lot of us are beginning to think, well, you know, are we going to need to have our buildings in the same way when we go out to, to work again? You know, are people going to occupy office space in the same way? Are we all going to learn to work remotely for the rest of, you know, our careers? I mean, I, I personally would like to think that with the auctions in particular, it is a live, live, live you know, uh, entertainment is very participatory by nature. I would very much like to get back into a room where there are real clients in front of us, as well as my colleagues manning the telephones, um, but equally with a, with a kind of live stream audience as well. Because, I mean, clearly, with over a million people watching our last sale, we cannot ignore that, that growth. And I think, you know, especially with, you know, art fairs being cancelled and exhibitions being cancelled, people are so much more used to being at home and these live streams you know would allow a client in Hong Kong per se to tune in without having to fly all the way to London or have a terribly expensive phone bill um and you know how has the use of live stream impacted the buyers on the telephone I know that you're for the uh the, the Botticelli auction um all of the phones were in another room how did that how is that different from you know when you would have had them all in person well, it's 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 very different because actually, you know, as you say, for for COVID safety reasons, um, you know, we have the auctions within a gallery or or sort of studio type environment at Sotheby's. But actually, as auctioneer, I'm in my own sort of bubble, I suppose. Um, and then the the bidders that you're mentioning are actually in a separate room, therefore a separate kind of bubble. Um, but actually, what they are doing is sort of executing bids on behalf of clients they're speaking to live on the telephone. Um, but then they're actually kind of signaling their bids to a kind of a suite of cameras in front of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and those images are then relayed to screens that are in my pod, uh, which I'm standing in front of. And um, there are normally in total either six or eight screens in front of me. Mm-hmm. Um, two, one set which is devoted to uh, New York bidders, another to London, another to either Hong Kong or increasingly Paris. Um, so that is my audience, so to speak. It's it's not so much kind of live clients in the room. It's actually kind of colleagues who are being uh, who are relaying the bids on behalf of our clients that are on screens in front of me. So it's it's a very different um, set of set of planning, I suppose, um, uh, as auctions go. But you know, I think I think tantalizingly, because this live audience now is so much bigger than we've ever been used to before, um, and it's rather interesting to me because it's almost as if um, and the exciting world of auctioneering has been unveiled to, you know, a much broader audience. And, you know, in the same way that chess has been unveiled recently by that fantastic Netflix yes. program. <laughs> you, know, um, you know, auctioneering has been around for millennia. Um, and still to this to this day, to my mind, it's by far the most efficient means of selling an object from one willing seller to a willing purchaser. Um, but actually the tools with which you kind of convey that auction, of course, are getting modernized all the time. And, you know, is it more pressurizing to have more people tuning in? Or, I don't know, do you feel like the internal, I guess, the internal feelings that you'd have right before an auction, are they the same? Are they different? Yeah, no, I, th- I, think, it, I think it is more nerve-wracking, I suppose. Mm. I mean, you know, I, I think that any auctioneer who kind of gets up and is not in some way nervous, I, th- I think it's not doing the right job necessarily. I mean, I, I think in much the same way that I'm sure if you talk to an experienced actor, he or she would say, 
you know, going out in front of a live auction, I mean, there's always going to be that sense of apprehension, you know, am I on form tonight? Am I going to convey my lines with the right level of kind of authority? You know, am I going to be in control? Um, you know, and with live auction, it's not scripted. I mean, you know, there, there are elements of it, which I have no idea what will happen as well. So one has to be ready for every, literally every possible kind of um, uh, opportunity or, 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 or thing that might sort of pop up and unexpectedly. But having said that, I think that's what live auction is also kind of taking their stride. I mean, you know, I, I'm somebody who likes to get very prepared before I go and do these live auctions. Um, I, I guess there's probably even greater scrutiny now that we're, you know, we're live and, you know, people can watch us back and, and look at body movements and, you know, think about the increments. And, you know, I certainly know that sort of a BDI journalist will, will always sort of break down what they think is sort of going on from the actions of an auctioneer or the way that the drama of the sale of a painting sort of unfolds. But, you know, yes, it is. It's, it's, it's a, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a performance like any other. So, of course, there is a certain amount of kind of pressure going into them. And, you know, you're quite right in saying that you are a performer, you are a bit like an actor. And, you know, so much of these sales do rely on, you know, how well you can communicate the sales, you know, to the to the buyers. And a successful a successful auction is a balance between the buyer and the sellers or the consigners. And, you know, without previews or live auctions, has it been difficult to hang on to either or both sides of this delicate equation? Yes, I think it's a really interesting question. I, th I think the short answer is yes, it's been very difficult because I think that, you know, it, given that we've embarked much more on kind of digital only se selling of works, I mean, don't, don't, don't forget that, you know, one of the many things that we as an auction industry do is is is, is publish books or historically mm -hmm. we've published books. And I, th I think actually it's one of the sort of misunderstood or, or, or something of the misnomers of the auction business that, you know, we, we're just this sort of, you know, this big commercial sort of operation. But actually I think it's, you know, it, that, that's doing a disservice, if you like, to the kind of the level of knowledge and, and uh, particularly art historical sort of content and understanding of the experts that work there. I mean, you know, in a way, we're like a sort of university of art, but which has a kind of commercial arm to it. Um, and I think one of the things that our clients love, as, you know, as much as we have done historically, is the preparation of these amazing books. Mm. Um, but, we, you know, obviously we call them catalogues. But, I mean, effectively, they're in many ways as well research and presented as, as any major exhibition catalogue would be for a major Picasso exhibition in the Royal Academy, for example. But, you know, the thing is, we're doing them with such frequency. Um, well, one thing that's happened, I think, with COVID is that it's just meant that the printed word, the digital, or rather the, the printed catalogue has just become somewhat redundant. And the um, the, the, the speed and the, uh, you know, the, the, the means of showing digital catalogues to, again, a much, much bigger audience have, have meant that we just work on it in a very, very different way. Um, I mean, the one thing that I would say that is quite nerve-wracking is that, you know, in the old way, you'd send out a catalogue and you'd hope that a, uh, somebody receiving it would get um, uh, positively kind of excited about a colder mm. sculpture or a Gerhard Richter painting and, you know, respond. It's it's much the same with a digital catalogue. It's, it's, it's actually quite, you know, you don't know exactly who's going to be looking at it, albeit, you know, we have digital marketing um ability and particularly with all the right sort of digital consent from our uh clients um which enable us to understand who's actually looking at things so it, it becomes a much more measured process i would say yes and you know with the catalogs i'm presuming you don't publish them in full on the internet and obviously you've been using instagram and social media a lot with lots of the trailers and things that you've released as well yeah well i i think actually arguably you know we're, we're producing just as much information but it's just available digitally now as opposed to in the printed words so you know i i think that you know one of the things that our clients expect of us is is very much a kind of level of 
um, expertise and innovation in the printed word. It just so happens to now be through the vehicle of a, of a digital cell or digital catalog as opposed to a live catalog. So the, the, answer, the answer is, I think, we're just as active in terms of kind of sending things out there. You know, the, the other great innovation that we're able to uh, execute is that catalogs can be embedded with videos. We can update mm -hmm. information live in a way that we never could with a printed catalog. So in that respect, I would say that the information you're getting is arguably even better. And, you know, although it is nice to have a physical copy of one of your catalogues, you know, on the lap with a mug of coffee. Yeah. It's also rather yeah. nice to be able to, you know, read something from your website or from your social media and then look something up and kind of discover more about the provenance and things. I mean, I'm at the, at the, at the moment I'm writing about um, a Raphael drawing that actually Sotheby's sold in 2012. And, oh. and your website has a tremendous amount of information. I can only imagine how much that has improved, you know, in the last 10 or so years. Well, I, th I think this is just part of a kind of bigger plan in a way. I mean, I think that, you know, in the same way as I mentioned previously, the companies like Netflix and Amazon, are, you know, uh, they're, they're interested in content. Um, you know, I think it's much the same as us. And I think, you know, what's really interesting when you go on to a major auction house's uh, website now, I mean, it, it's not just things which are coming up for auction, but as you say, it's information about past lots that we've sold, it might be great information about major dynastic collections we've had the privilege of selling over the years. Um, it might even be some objects or, or works of art which are actually available to buy now. So in other words, they're bypassing an auction uh, environment completely. Um, and there are objects now like sort of, you know, sneakers, for example, which is one of the yes, new categories mm -hmm. we're moving into. And, you know, to me, Lara, this is incredibly interesting. Where, you know, we, we've actually recently been acquired um, by a major uh, global uh, entrepreneur businessman called Patrick Drahi. And I think mm -hmm. one of the reasons that Patrick took such interest in Sotheby's is that, um, you know, he coming particularly from a, from a business devoted to telecommunications and fiber optics and uh, digital innovation, et cetera, you know, saw great room for growth in this particular area. And I think it's actually interesting because last October uh, that we celebrated the first uh, anniversary of his, his acquisition of the company, and um, I can't imagine that Patrick felt or would have seen as much innovation as we've achieved in that 12-month period in the digital space and in terms of, you know, the, the, the wealth and, and breadth of things that we're offering as we have actually seen. It's, it's been quite extraordinary, um, you know, but I think this is really just the beginning. I mean, I think you're going to see that we're not only offering um, things which have a broader reach, obviously, because of the increased digitization of the build of the of the of the, the internet, but equally a much broad broader age demographic. I mean, we're already running at a higher number of first time buyers currently than we have in the last fifteen years, um, and saw something like twenty seven percent of increase on new buyers each year. So you know, for a business like ours, I mean, that that's a tremendous amount of new new uh, client acquisition. And do you think that switching from a publicly quoted company into the private ownership of Patrick Drahi, do you think that has, you know, had a direct impact on these new buyers? Um, I, not necessarily on the buyers. Mm. I, mean, I think that the speed of implementation of, of what we're doing, I think arguably has been much easier in a kind of private environment to a public environment, albeit, you know, I, I think that to our to our buyers, the end user, you know, ultimately you're, you're, you're as good as the last sale, you're, you're mm -hmm. giving to the market or you're as good as the offerings that you're making and the relevance of those offerings to the demographic of buyers that you're appealing to. I mean, I think the, you know, the really interesting point, I think, in the, in the growth of the business over the last sort of 12 months or so is that we're no longer reliant just on the physical spaces that we occupy. 
Um, and I think that's a really critical sort of um, demarcation to, to, to point out. I mean, I think, you know, one of the reasons that London is the, the capital, I guess, of the European art market is mm -hmm. that, you know, with travel, et cetera, and with the major building that we're lucky enough to, to occupy in New Bond Street, you know, that's a bit of a landmark. And if you're a collector, you know, and you know our business, you know, Sotheby's is a kind of hotspot, if you like, for all the different um, offerings that we, we make throughout the year. Um, but of course, now with COVID and with the increased digitization that we've experienced, we've got far greater flexibility than we've ever had before. So, I mean, again, to give you an example, um, the absence of physical convenings of our clients, whether, you know, in London for a major sale or even with, with major art fairs being cancelled, has, has just enabled us to re completely reimagine the calendar. Um, so we're no longer really tied to set seasons or formats we can do a one-lot sale online if it's interesting enough. We can change the impressionist sales from May each year to a different month of the year if we feel that's appropriate. We can do pop-ups in East Hampton or Palm Beach, which is what we've been doing recently. Uh, as I mentioned just a moment ago, we can do the Buy Now Marketplace offerings where we're literally offering 24-7 access to over 3,000 items across a whole bunch of different areas like Fine Jewels or collectible sneakers and watches and designer handbags and uh, decorative objects so you know I, I think the offerings that you know we we you know i think people are, have been used to sotheby's only selling you know the greatest works by the likes of Raphael or rubens or titian or picasso or colder and you know that that's business which is incredibly important to us but actually the reality is that the average lot value is is way below those sort of levels but equally it's much more international and broad and, you know, obviously, you know, as you've mentioned, you've been able to amass different objects. So like you mentioned, the sneakers from Louis Vuitton. And, you know, one thing that I and a lot of other people have noticed is that, you know, you've had the prominent product placement of Bulgari, um, which mm. you and your colleagues wore for the recent Old Masters live stream. And, yeah. you know, I wanted to ask, how is this partnership established? Are you selling the Bulgari jewellery on the Sotheby's website? You know, how did you approach one another? You know, well, do you expect this partnership to grow? Sure. Um, well, well, this is really interesting, actually. I mean, it, it, this was a sponsorship or partnership that we did, actually, mm -hmm. um, in relation to the sale in New York that we, we executed recently, principally around the Botticelli. Um, and there was a conversation with the House of Bulgari that, given that we were selling this extraordinary Renaissance masterpiece, you know, there was a great deal of kind of brand um synchronicity i suppose placement with, with with bulgari and their offerings as well and actually if you watch that auction um i was wearing a great bulgari watch i was lucky enough yes. to be wearing that i've been trusted <laughs> with that um but equally i had colleagues of mine were wearing fantastic bulgari necklaces or earrings or brooches and that sort of thing and you know i i, th I think the point here is that you know um I think I, I think a partnership like that in 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 the way that many many brands are collaborating at the moment is is clearly um, brand enhancing for, for both Sotheby's and Bulgari in that particular instant. Um, I think, you know, with an eye to the future, partnerships will, will, you know, will certainly make sense, you know, as and when there is a kind of comparable crossover of kind of, you know, parallels in the business that we're doing or, you know, when you have a long established business like Bulgari, clearly there are some cl um, levels of inspiration or much as what they've done is very art historically based, which kind of chimes very much with Sotheby's, particularly with that mm -hmm. sale of not only the, you know, the Botticelli, but a number of other major old master paintings that we were offering. So, you know, yes, the answer is we're beginning to explore much, much more, 
you know, partnerships like this where there is kind of distinct mutual benefit to be had. And is there a correlation between, you know, say the Louis Vuitton trainers that you're selling and perhaps a future partnership with them or, you know, another fashion house like Dior or Gucci? And, you know, I saw that you're selling a 2011, I believe, Tesla. Yeah, I think I think the answer is yeah, no, yes. Where it makes sense for us to kind of partner with sort of key businesses and, you know, where we see crossovers and particularly where, you know, perhaps our clients could be of interest to that brand or vice versa. Um, you know, th- those will definitely kind of be things which are of great interest to us. I mean, I, I think one one of the all those brands you mentioned, of course, are very well known, principally Western brands. Mm-hmm. Um, I think actually, you know, at a time when we're all thinking about what's going to happen in Asia uh, and how do we crack China, um, that's going to be one of the most interesting kind of areas of exploration as to, you know, who, who are going to be the biggest partners to work alongside in trying to get to kind of, you know, the tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of you know high net worth individuals that we want to be talking to in that area and you know just going slightly back to patrick drahi was this something that he wanted to bring i mean i know you've now been using his cable company cheddar to um you know stream your auctions is this an innovation that he wanted to bring to sotheby's or have these partnerships been happening for a long period of time um, I would say that we were already doing sort of partnerships. I mean, mm-hmm. principally in the form of sponsorship, you know, we'd work with a partner and they would give us some funds in order to kind of put on an idea or to get access to some of the events that we were running. Um, I think in a way that's been kind of fast tracked as a result of COVID and Patrick's involvement with the company. I mean, Patrick is somebody who doesn't actually, you know, own other luxury brands. So mm-hmm. it's not as if we have synchronicity with major watchmakers who are within, if you like, who are sister companies to Sotheby's. Um, Having said that, I mean, I think that, you know, Patrick and his experience in digital innovation, I mean, particularly with his ownership of a company called Cheddar in America uh, and Museum TV in France, I mean, we've actually got sort of two partners there who actually offer us, you know, a whole plethora of different opportunity. Um, You know, so, 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 so I think that you know, in a very short period of time, I think we've proven that, you know, the the auction house, as we have understood it and grown up with it, you know, principally over the last, say, 15, 20 years, is changing radically. And we're having to become as adept at working with other companies um, as major other international brands are. And I think, you know, these partnerships, particularly, you know, with Cheddar and, you know, other television companies like that, honestly, really couldn't have come in a better time. No, listen, I mean, I, I think somewhat fortuitously as a result of COVID, and again, I, I, I'm trying mm-hmm. to choose my language very carefully because, you know, I more than appreciate that of COVID course. has thrown up some very, very difficult moments for, for a number of people and, and will do for some time. I mean, I think that there are certain businesses who have um, been able to rise to the challenge of COVID. I, I can't um, I, I can't understate that, you know, to begin with, particularly this is a very difficult transition for us. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's certainly not been easy as an organization that has, has had to furlough a lot of staff and had a great deal of cutbacks as a result of it. But I mean, I think in terms of throwing a lifeline to our business, um, the live stream auction has enabled us at least to keep trading in some format, um, which has been crucial. Yes. And, you know, I think I read somewhere that, you know, the auctions that you've had since October have now amassed to one a total of one billion dollars or something like that so clearly you know these live streams have been extremely successful no they they, they have been successful you know i think probably the thing that's been most pleasing is that i mean you mentioned earlier the francis bacon painting that we sold Mm um i mean that that was a painting which made in excess of 80 million dollars which actually was pretty much in line with the price that we achieved in 2008 for another major francis bacon triptych but in obviously in a kind of you know in a live open environment so 
Um, you know, and these are paintings which don't come to market terribly often. So it was it was actually incredibly pleasing, you know, to to prove that you know, particularly to our vendors, that we are making prices which are you know the highest possible prices that the market can achieve on their behalves. Um, I think also the Botticelli again. I mean, that's that's the most expensive old master painting that Sotheby's has ever sold in our two hundred eighty year odd history. So. Mm-hmm. You know, in that respect, again, I mean, I think this innovation is definitely here to stay. I mean, I think what we've done is open a door which we're not really going to go back through again. Um, I mean, as I mentioned previously, we we very much do want to invite our clients back into our our sale rooms. Um, But I think there's just going to be a sort of paradigm shift now to the much bigger audience at home. Yes, I think so. And, you know, I think that relationship in person and online, it's extremely important to cater towards both and you know just slightly backtracking towards the Botticelli you know you're the one who brought down the hammer what did that you know what did it feel like to achieve um you know such a triumphant sale it's it's incredibly euphoric I mean Mm. it's you know it's not every day that that we auctioneers get to hammer something of that value and so you know yes it's an incredible privilege it's a tremendous amount of money um I mean I think also the you know the 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 reason that the, my colleagues and I get into this business is to handle works of the of the importance of of, of the Botticelli. So you know, I, th- I think there's a kind of sense of euphoria on behalf of the team in a way that we've collaborated so carefully together to bring a bring an object like this sensitively to market, um, send it halfway around the world. I mean, that's a painting which actually went to Hong Kong, it mm-hmm. went came to London, it went to Dubai, it went to Los Angeles. You know, it was it, it genuine. It did its own kind of global world tour, if you like. Um, and then, of course, you know, bringing it to market, particularly at the moment, you know, and, and to achieve the price that we did, you know, is is incredibly uh, satisfying. I mean, it's it, it, it's it's you know, it's certainly kind of for me a kind of career highlight. I would say. Yes, and you know, Sotheby's pulled out you know all the stops as you said. It took the world tour, you know, lots of trailers and videos and mm. things like that. And it was also, am I right in saying, the first time you auctioneered an old master sale? Yes, it was. Yes. I mean, yes. you know, I, I've got a great colleague, George Walker, in New York, who actually you know, had seen what I'd been up to, I guess, in the Impressionist Modern Contemporary sales and asked if I would, uh, would, would, would do that sale. And actually, um, I did a second sale the day after, actually. We sold the collection uh, of a formidable <laughs> collector called Hester Diamond, who's actually well, one of her claims to fame is that she was, she was the mother of Mike D, one of the original founders of the Beastie Boys, which which appealed to me as a big, long-standing Beastie Boys fan. Um, but you know, it, it, it was it, it's a very different market, and I think I think you know, as a, as an auctioneer, I was probably you know uh, one of the things that, that that's most fulfilling is getting to work with a number of different collector departments and realizing how those those departments in a way are kind of completely different businesses i mean the way that our impressions to modern clients respond to those sales is different to how the contemporary audience reacts is different to the way that the old master paintings audience reacts so no, that 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 was really fascinating for me and you know just the other day you announced the um piero del polaiuolo as being part of um, the cross-category evening auction sale on March 25th. And that yes. is something you're also chairing or being the, the lead that, auctioneer. Right. So, so again, I mean, it, you know, it, it's the, the next installment of the Marquis Sales, which you know, I would invite all your listeners to to, mm. to to tune into, is, as you say, it's on the 25th of March. Uh, and it's, it's going to be a sort of uh, a two-part sale, the first part of which is actually kicking off from our Paris sales room. 
um, at around uh, 2 p.m. London time that day. Uh, and all the details, again, are on our website. But um, you'll be able to watch a colleague of mine um, take the first part of the sale in Paris, which will probably be about 40 lots. Um, and then the, the baton will pass to London, where I'll be taking the sale, the remainder of the sale, uh, kicking off at around 6 p.m. or we're still con uh, confirming exactly what time it will be. Um, mm -hmm. And we'll do another kind of sale, which is a little bit like the Rembrandt to Richter sale that we did in June last year. And I think, I think again, I mean, the as I mentioned, the auction calendar is changing because of COVID. I think equally, uh, we've, we're able to be a lot more liberal, if you like, in terms of how we curate our sales. So having an amazing Florentine 15th century portrait that you mentioned alongside an extraordinary 1887 Vincent van Gogh uh, picture of mm. Montmartre, which we've just announced today, yes, uh, which is amazing. It's a picture that's been in the same French family ownership for over 100 years, um, you know, right up to kind of an amazing David Hockney painting is really interesting. I mean, I, I, and I think also reflects Ilario very much on, on, you know, the collections or the taste of today. I mean, I think people are much more pluralistic in the way that they collect art. And I think that, you know, we, we've been incredibly excited that, bias of impressionist art of noticing old master paintings because of the way that we're presenting them and, and buying cross category. And, you know, was, is this sale, you know, something that might not have happened per se if, you know, 12 months ago when things were, you know, not online and. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, I think that's a fair point. I mean, I, I think that, you know, up until now we we've always remained um, somewhat tribal like in our approach to sort of the, some of the different sales that we do. And I've mentioned a few of them, like the Russian painting mm -hmm. sales or the Chinese sales or the, or the, you know, Israeli art sales or the wine sales or, you know, and I think the reason that we've done that is that obviously we, we want to make the consumer uh, make the process for the consumer as efficient as possible by yeah. having sales normally at a, you know, fairly regularized uh, uh, point in the calendar, um, but equally making collectors not have to kind of search too far and wide for what they're really after. It's much easier for them to have it all in one place. Um, having said that, that I think, you know, the, the, the power of data and the power of search engines and the power of the flexibility that we now have, um, and in some cases directly as a result of COVID, has just meant that we can be much more flexible and innovative in terms of our offerings. And, you know, I, 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 going back to the very beginning, you know, what we talked about, I think that what we're all really missing is is access to great art, you know, whether yeah. it be fantastic old master paintings, you know, I was lucky enough just before lockdown to, to have a private tour of the National Gallery at nighttime with barely oh, wow. anybody there. And, you know, I mean, it was the most incredible and very sobering experience. And, you know, and I think that's what we're missing. I mean, art, as we, as we all know, is almost a form of religion. And, you know, um, not having our capacity to go to museums is a little bit like not being able to go to church. I mean, you know, there's something really missing there, I think, ultimately. And the same for our collectors. I mean, they're desperate to get back and look at great works of art that they that they covet and want to and want to own. And, you know, I very much agree that, you know, we I think everyone will agree with me in saying that everyone has missed going into galleries. I remember coming home at Christmas and finding out that everything was closing and I wouldn't have been able and I wouldn't be able to spend my month you know, back in London, going off to all the galleries that I'd missed whilst being up in Scotland. And, right. you know, although there have been lots of um, positives, you know, with this new auction cross categories that you've been able to curate, 
you know, there have also been lots of things that we've missed. No, I was just going to I'd just mention on that point, I, you know, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I, you know, I, I think it's really extraordinary, actually, you know, what, what, what cultural institutions have achieved actually during lockdown. And I think, you know, particularly, you know, well, for, for students of art, which in a way we all are, you know, mm. whether demonstratively because you're, you know, St. Andrews currently or, 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 you know, or for me having left university many years ago, I mean, I think we still want to study art in all its forms. I mean, I think that what cannot be understated is how great the, and rich and diverse the content is on, you know, major, major, major websites. And, you know, and I think that, I mean, let's, let's be frank. I mean, e even when we live in the UK, it's not going to be possible to go to every single major museum show in the world yeah. that one would want to. So we're, we're very reliant on, on, you know, what's freely available on the internet. And, you know, for example, I was looking the other day at, at the website of the Drawing Centre in New York. Um, there, there happens to be a wonderful David Hammond's body print work on paper show there, which, you know, sadly, I don't think I'll ever see. But they've published the digital catalogue online and it's an incredible resource. Um, you know, similarly, some of the webinars and talks that the Frick have been doing recently have been extraordinary um, or the Design Museum, you know, in London. So that there's mm -hmm. such incredible content. I mean, I don't think any of this replaces the physicality of standing in no. front of a great work of art but it's a pretty good substitute in the circumstances and you know although you know we've lost you know the tangibility of the work and we've lost you know the physical experience we've also gained a great number of resources i mean you know a couple of weeks ago i tuned into edmund deval's closing down of the library of exile you know his music right. and you know it was just beautiful and you know it's an event i right. wouldn't have been able to see not only because I would have been here, but, you know, I simply wouldn't have been able to go. And so, you know, again, going back to your live auctions, you know, they're things that I might not have been able to watch. And now I can from the comfort of my bed. Well, I, and I think I think that sort of leans in very much to kind of, you know, what our experiences in modern life is. I mean, I, I think all of us are covered our own privacy and we covered our own time more than ever. And I think the capacity to kind of watch some of these things or consume them on your time in your f physical space uh, or when you're in the right frame of mind. I mean, I think that's absolutely critical. Um, I mean, obviously, with an auction, there is an element that, you know, we go live, and if you want to participate, you've got to be there at the time, mm -hmm. in the allotted time and date, as it were. But, you know, still, there are many things that we're offering our clients which are much more um, uh, long-lasting, at, le at least in terms of kind of webinars. I mean, to give you an example, we did a wonderful one last week, actually, with Christopher Rothko, who's Mark Rothko's son, mm. um, about the reopening of the Rothko Chapel uh, uh, in, in Houston, which, which, you know, I would recommend for anybody to tune into. I mean, it's, it, it, this is really rich and varied content. It's terrific. Yes, and I've, I've been to the Rothko Chapel, and it's, it's a really wonderful place. It's such a, you know, it's such thrilling news to know that it will be opening and that you know, I can, you know, almost relive that experience from right. Scotland. Yeah, um, terrific. And, you know, I always like to finish off kind of by asking, what are you most looking forward to personally or in relation to your auction house practice, you know, once these new restrictions have been lifted? Um, you know what? I, I, I mean, we, I guess I've answered this in, 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 maybe mm. in, in a kind of different ways, but, but throughout our fascinating conversation. But, I mean, I, I think really ultimately... I think it's the people and the objects that we handle. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm most most looking looking forward to to, to spending time with. I mean, I, th I think the people, mainly because you know this is very much a people business that that we're in, and you know we're really lucky to have so many kind of great um, experts of art. But equally, you know, there are many other facets um, of, of roles at, at a place like Sotheby's as well. You know, which makes it kind of a, re a really compelling community. Uh, to be a part of. Um, so, so, so I miss, miss spending time with, with the staff members, my colleagues, 
friends, associates there. Um, I think also our, our clients. I mean, we're lucky enough to work in a space which is principally based on, you know, passion and interest in art. Um, mm-hmm. And I think lastly, obviously, the objects themselves. I mean, I think that, um, you know, Sotheby's and other auction houses are largely free and available to the public. You know, it, it, it's a little bit of a secret in some respects. You know, people don't always know that they can walk into Sotheby's free of charge, but you can do. And I, I would invite mm-hmm. anybody to do that. And, and you know, you know that, that that's one of the most interesting things that you know one week we'll have a you know an, a wonderful array of old master drawings and the next week it's going to be an incredible selection of modern british art and you know having that capacity to linger in our galleries and you know particularly i remember actually i was in manchester and read art history there and albeit there are some wonderful galleries and museums in manchester i think i, I love the theoretical side of art history but what i did miss was actually standing in front of great objects which is what you know, a career in the arts can often bring you. Um, you know, so 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 that's what I'm most looking forward to is just standing in front of a great painting and just you know, luxuriating in that fantastic mm. experience. And you know, it's something that you know, with time, you know, we very much looking, we're very much looking forward to you know, experiencing once again. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for speaking to me this afternoon. No, it's been such a pleasure. Thank, thank you, you thank so you much. much. Thank you for having me as well. Thank you. Uh,